Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome. This is Foothills Christian Church, and I am Douglas Peak, and I will be your guide. And I am guiding you directly to Jesus. So I want to personally invite you, if this is your first time here, or you're a returning visitor, if you're watching for the first time online, or maybe you accepted an invitation to a church at home in your local neighborhood. doesn't matter if you're in California, Washington, Arizona, or even Nevada of all places. You're welcome to join our community of faith. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we want especially to welcome all of you who have moved here from out of state. We want you to hear from someone like myself. I've lived here over 25 years. Two of my kids have been born here. I'm about a native as you're going to get. And I want you to know you're welcome. Now, everybody doesn't feel the way I do, so change the plates on your car as quickly as you can. (laughs) You know, this is all about your faith. Our goal is to teach you and help you, coach you, facilitate you to meet Jesus, to know Him, and deepen your faith with Him. It's all about your faith and your relationship with Him, and so you need to do the work. But if you want help, all you have to do is text FHNEXTSTEP to 97000. Whether you're online or you're here on campus, it doesn't matter. FHNEXTSTEP, one word, to 97000 to help get answers to questions or maybe take the next step of your journey. Now, we're in a series called Nonsense, and it's all about how to make sense out of life because The Apostle John wrote a letter to the churches. He actually wrote three, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in these letters, he explains how the world in which they lived at that time, very similar to this world, was becoming filled with a bunch of nonsense. And what it was is it was enticing people who were following Jesus from leaving him and going back into the world. And so it's very important to understand that he wrote this letter to help us make sense out of life. And if there's one area we need to make more sense out of, it's the area of love. Love is one of the most confusing things that are going on in the world today. I think people are struggling to find love. They're struggling to uh, fall in love. They're struggling... Uh, to stay in love. It's just a confusing thing. And I think there's some reasons for that. One of the reasons is that we are so interested in love because it's one of the primary driving forces of all human beings. It's the the greatest joy in your life. Uh, If you think back to, wow, when I got married, what a great day that was. When you think about the birth of your children, you bring children into this world, how uh, connected and how much you love your kids and how much you sacrifice for them. And you think about, wow, I couldn't imagine my life without my children in my life. You're thinking, wow, that's some of the greatest outcomes of love. But love can also be one of the most painful things. You know, somebody that, that loved you and vowed to, and then they betray you. Boy, that hurts like no other hurt. Or maybe you have, uh, uh, you're married and somebody says something or they do something that is just, wow, I never believed that you could 
do something like that to me. That, that's painful. So love is interesting in that, and it's very confusing. And I'll tell you what, when love goes bad, life doesn't make any sense at all. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be kind of pursuing today's study in the fourth chapter of 1 John to see how John teaches us to make sense out of real, authentic love. So uh, a few years ago, there was a gal named Lindsay. She came in and she wouldn't talk to me. She was in her late 20s. She's, she's a, a beautiful lady and very accomplished in her career. Uh, but her love life was struggling a little bit. She said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And I said, what do you need to talk to me about? She goes, I want you to explain to me what is the problem with men? So I thought you would have some insight on that as you are one. Okay. So I said, tell me your story. Well, Lindsay's parents divorced when she was 11. She started dating when she was 14, lost her virginity at 15. And when she was 18, she moved in with her first serious boyfriend and he cheated on her. So she wasn't going to tolerate that. And she, uh, they broke up and then she enrolled in college, started to prove herself. But over the course of the next probably 10 years of her life, she would get into these serious relationships. She would live with the guy, and then he always cheated on her. And after about the fourth or fifth time, she's like, something is wrong with men. And so I need to go in and talk to a pastor and find out what in the world is wrong with men, and maybe I need to realign my expectations. And so I was chatting with her, and I just said, so do you believe that all men are this way? And she says, well, no, obviously not. I mean, there's men that I know that I look up to, men that are respectable. And so then I asked this question. I said, then why are you attracted to men who always cheat on you? She didn't like to ask the question at all. Um, so, uh, so I had to re, kind of redeem that conversation a little bit because I said, look, the issue isn't that men are all this way. The issue isn't that women are all this way. The issue is that the world has no idea what love is anymore. That's the issue. And when you believe what the world says, you end up getting really confused when it comes to love. So I asked her, what are you going to do now? And she said, well, what I'm going to do now is I'm focusing on self-love. You know, uh, if I can just, you know, I I'm just going to fall in love with myself. And if I really love myself, then I said, it's going to fix all your problems with love. Well, no one's ever put it that way, but I, yeah, I think that might help a little bit. So then my next question was, well, what happens if self-love is unobtainable? It's like, what do you mean by that? I said, well, what if it's impossible to fall in love with yourself? She said, why would that be impossible? I said, because you know you. I don't live up to other people's expectations but I certainly never live up to my own expectations of myself. Do you? I don't. So maybe that is an unobtainable thing. Now, I bring all these questions up because we need to talk about what John teaches when we discover the true, authentic path to true or real love. Let's look at what he says 
Let's jump into the first six verses of chapter four. I'll read them out loud. And the first thing that is really interesting is he says, if you want to understand what real love is, you must believe what is true. If you believe what is false, you'll never find real love. Listen to these words. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, he's not talking about, you know, ghosts floating around in the ethereal. What he's talking about is different ideologies and teaching, principles, values, concepts that are being seeded out in the culture at that time. And he says these are false prophetic statements. In other words, they may sound good, but they're really not true. He goes, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God. You have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, that's a powerful life verse for many people. 1 John 4, 4, where it says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. But he talks about what is it that you are to overcome in that verse right there. Notice what he says. You are overcoming these false ideologies, these false beliefs, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Verse 5, these teachings are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So in our world today, you look out across the landscape, you look at movies, you look at TV shows, you look at uh, uh, in various social media apps, you look at uh, our mainstream media, you look at the print, you look at many of the books that are written and used in curriculums in public schools. These all propagate the viewpoint of the world and who listens to them, who cheers them on and loves it and goes, oh, you're so awesome. Let's give you a Grammy for that. The world does. The world does that. Verse 6, but we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. I was at a party just a little bit ago, probably, I don't know, five, six years ago, and the top uh, malpractice lawyer, she's one of the top uh, ones in the Treasure Valley, uh, is a lesbian. And I know that because that's the first thing she told me when I met her at this party. And then uh, when I was introduced to her, she found out what I did, and so she said, I want to know what your position is on same-sex marriage, because I'm married to my partner, and I'm really mad at my church. And I said, oh, what is your, what church do you go to? I've been, I've been around a while, so I know most of them. She goes, the Roman Catholic Church. I said, oh, you're Roman Catholic. And so she said, yeah, and I want to know your position because I want a church that affirms, you know, what I believe, and, and the way she said it was interesting, I can't quite phrase it the way she did. 
uh, but basically affirms what I'm doing. And I said, so you're looking for a church that believes what you've chosen to be true. Well, she's a really good lawyer, so she didn't answer right away because she knew this is going somewhere. And I said, I'd, I'd be happy to chat about this with you anytime you want. I said, send me a note. I have coffee with you. I'm fine with that. But I'm not here for you. You know, I'm here for this social event for these people. And I said, but I just have one question. How do you know that what you believe is true is true? How do you know that? I'm not being facetious. I'm just asking, how do you know? How do we know? How do we know anything is true? How do you know if there's actually cheese and macaroni? How, I mean, how do you know that? Every time you buy into, bite into a, cheese, a macaroni and cheese, you're doing so on faith. Because I'll tell you what, when you make macaroni and cheese, there's no cheese in that little powdery stuff that comes out of that packet. But it certainly tastes cheesy, doesn't it? How do you know? I mean, it's really, how do you know? When you sit in a chair, how do you know? that when you sit in it, it's going to hold you up. And how do, you, how do we know what we say we know is actually true? And John is saying that that is one of the most important things that you need to address. Because if you believe falsehoods, false teaching, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, it's loved by the world, reinforced by the world, encouraged by the world, it's already in the world, then you'll never find true, authentic love. Not only in a relationship, but just in life, period. See, there are multiple definitions of reality in which we live. There's multiple definitions of truth, and you have the freedom to believe anyone you want. You really do. You can believe anything you choose to believe. But how do you know it's true? See, John says something very, very important. And he says, we are from God. We are from God. And what he's saying is that there is an objective truth out there that defines reality for us. And it is powerful when it comes to love because what it does is it stops you from ping-ponging in life particularly when it comes to love. Everybody knows this because we've all experienced this. On the one hand, it's really important to be, you know, courageous, right? To have strong convictions, to know what you think and what you believe, right? But what happens if you believe everything you believe is true? What if you think you're always right and never wrong? What happens if you believe you never, ever make a mistake and you're dating that guy? Yeah, you call that person who thinks that way, what? A narcissist. So the first thing is you got to understand is that, well, I have to be confident. I have to have convictions. But if I believe I never make a mistake, if I have no humility, no self-awareness that I'm not perfect, then I'm probably disillusioned narcissist. But wait a second. 
What happens if you go the other way and you go, yeah, I have mistakes. I've made all kinds of mistakes and I can't seem to make the right decision, you know, if it was staring me in the face and, you know, my dating life's a mess and I can't hold down a job and I'm just a failure and nobody likes me and nobody loves me and I'm just terrible. And so all your mistakes or all of your flaws define your existence as a human being. You'd look at that person and go, man, you need some therapy or something because you need help. The Bible calls that self-abasement. So see, when it comes to love, how in the world are you going to find love, whether it's with another person or with your family or even a healthy sense of who you are? How are you going to find all that if you don't know that what you believe is true or not? And you'll never know that if you think it has to come from in here. This is why objective truth is so powerful, is because what it does is it allows you to know what real love is. And it allows you to know, wait a second, I have, this is what God says about me and who I am. He's redeemed me. This is who I am. I still have flaws and imperfections so I can have a healthy uh, humility while I'm also confident in who he's called me to be and where I'm going. At the same time, I don't fall into self-abasement and I believe all of these lies, or as John Eldred says, I make agreements with the devil about who I really am is a person. You see, that's why objective truth is so powerful, because it keeps you from ping-ponging in love. And that's why John teaches that you must, the first thing he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Test them. So believe what is true. The second thing he says is this, is he says you not only believe what is true, but you must live the truth. You must live what is true. Listen to these words, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. So now I'm at the point where I'm thinking, okay, God is love, and He is going to, He's an outside objective truth, going to define for me what real love is. I can't live it if I don't know what it is. This is love. Verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. So the powerful definition of real authentic love is this. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him so that Jesus could bring life to all of us. Death to life. And he does this by, he says, sacrificially giving of himself as an atonement for our sins. He pays the price for you and for me. Now, the world has multiple definitions of love. 
It really does. I know that all of you are not philosophers, but today the predominant definition of love comes from the French philosopher Rousseau. Do you remember, you know, you had this Rousseauian idea. I'm not going to get into all of Rousseau stuff. Listen to the salty pastor if you want to dig into that a little bit more. But the bottom line is, is that the whole point is that whatever's happening inside of you is really your authentic self, okay? And so the point of your life is to try to express whatever you believe is inside of you, because that's what authenticity really is. That's what love really is. And so in our world today, in America, the predominant way we define love is sexually. You see, love and sex are one and the same. But not just having sex, but who you're sexually attracted to. That is how you find real love, is you listen to that inner attraction And the inner attraction then is going to give you the path to finding true authentic love. The other thing that our world is doing today that's very Rousseauian in nature is this, and that is self-love. Real love is loving yourself. If you take care of yourself. But the problem, as we pointed out earlier, is that self-love is an unobtainable goal if it comes from yourself. Because if you're working on self-love, just kind of help me with this a little bit because I'm going to work this out in my head right now as I think it. If you're working on self-love, then that means you don't have any self-love. So you're going to use yourself that has no self-love to work on getting self-love for yourself, which has none, so it's coming from you. So you're going to grab your bootstraps and pick yourself up into the air all by yourself. How in the world does that make any sense? Did I get that out? That's kind of my internal dialogue running there a little bit. See, it doesn't make any sense to me. This is back to the first thing is why objective truth is so powerful. Objective truth is so powerful because that is what allows you to discover who you are and be at peace with yourself. And that's why Christ came. Another definition of love today in our society is love of the earth. You know, the earth, well, it's the only one we got. We better take care of it. Well, who doesn't? I mean, people who disagree with that are kind of nutty. But, um, but everybody agrees with that. But it's just not that. It's, just, it's this notion that if we don't love the earth, and the earth is the most important thing out there, then some, you know, that, that human beings are the problem. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that one, too, because if... If, ever, if we evolved from the minerals of the earth, then we're part of the earth, aren't we? So how can we be the problem then if we're, I just don't get that. Why don't we get this? Because it doesn't make sense. There's love of ideology. There's love of ideology. You know, it's interesting, when I was growing up, People were dating and falling in love. It's like, well, what family did you come from? Today, you know, uh, whatever method you use to find a date, one of the first things you want to know is, is you want to know who they vote for. I ain't, I'm not, I will not date a person who voted for the other guy. Just not going to do it. Isn't that interesting that ideology has become so powerful? You know what the original notion of America was? It was that people 
who wanted to live differently than other people could do so and be at peace with one another because we adopted ideals and principles that fostered peace. All that's being taken away, and that's why it's so divisive today. There's all kinds of definitions of love. The world in which we live is redefining them, and John says, that's your problem. If you listen to one of those, you'll never find true authentic love. And the reason why is because God and God alone tells us what real authentic love is. This is love, that God sent his one and only begotten son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if you want to discover love, you can pick any path you want. But if you pick a path that doesn't have that as the core definition of it, you're going to be heartbroken again and again and again. The final thing he says is in verses 13 through 21. Let me read those. He says, you must now experience this love. You must live it out. Listen to what he says, beginning with verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. See how he says that? Isn't that really fascinating? He's not saying, well, if I go out and I'm loving people according to my definition, then I'm living in God. He's saying that when I believe the right things, I believe God. And when I am living in his redemption because he's redeemed me, that's when I can love in the way that God is loving. Look at what he says next. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, we love because he first loved us. We have the capacity to love this way because he first loved us. We have the ability to experience this type of love in our own lives because he loved us first. It comes from him. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Forever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is called experiencing what is true, that once we believe what is true and then we live in the redemption of Christ, now we can value people in the way that God values people. There's a little illustration I have for this I'd like to show you real quick. It kind of, uh, uh, if you're watching at home, it'll be on your main screen. And so I'll, I'll talk about it in, uh, behind uh, Basically, there's a big white arrow in the upper left-hand corner, and this represents objective truth. This comes from God. Love comes from God because God is love, and this is the objective truth that we need to embrace. And what that does, that enters into us, and that is us believing what is true. 
Um, I, I heard a gal, she was teaching, she said something really interesting. Sometimes the simple truths are the most profound. She, says, she said this, do you believe in Jesus or do you believe Jesus? What an interesting shift. It's not that I just believe in who he is, but I believe who he says I am. That's called believing what is true. And all of my wonder and all of my glory and all of my flaws and my failures, I believe what he says is true. Then over here, I, because I believe what he says is true, I am redeemed by Christ. He came into this world to save me, to save me. And so I live every day redeemed. And now because of that, I live out this love that God of what he's done inside of my life by valuing people in the way that God values people. And this inner ring is the love of God. It helps me know what is true. It helps me live in redemption and value people the way that God does. So if, with this spirit in mind, I would like you to take three action steps with me today in order for you to experience, maybe just at the surface, if it's your first time here, maybe just at the surface, what real love is all about. And what I want you to do is walk through a process that helps you discover the path that you've chosen. Ask yourself, how do I know what is true? How do I know if I've chosen the right path to real, authentic love? So action step number one is this, is evaluate what you believe honestly when it comes to love. Now, some of you have been Christians a long time, and you work this out. You're doctrinally sound, and you go, I know exactly what I believe about love. It comes from God. He defines it. Well, if, if you're at that point and you have that settled, then pray for everybody else out there right now that is, needs to ask that question and answer it. If you don't ask yourself this question, you don't have to set, share your answer with anybody else, but if you don't ask that, yourself that question and answer it honestly, then you'll never be able to choose the right path to authentic love. You'll be frustrated and aggravated and disappointed, heartbroken, over and over again. Now, the next one that I'd like you to do is this, and that is I would like you to take a moment to practice some forgiveness. Over the last year, your life has been more stressed. It's been more upside down. It's been crossways, and that has really influenced you in a negative way, whether you know it or not. If you're married, having to be in the same house 24-7, working side by side, you didn't realize that your spouse of 15 years has some of the most annoying habits that you could ever imagine. Add to that the stress of all the change in your own life, you're like not even realizing it as, I love you, but I can't even stand to be around you right now. And then you put your kids in the midst of it. These little urchins that are driving you crazy. I love you, but where's the duct tape for crying out loud? It's time to forgive. Maybe you're mad at your company, or your boss. Or maybe you're mad at the government when your company got shut down. 
Maybe you're mad at family and friends who took this thing way too seriously, or maybe they didn't take it seriously enough. In the end, it doesn't matter what causes the stress, what causes the turmoil. What ultimately matters is how we choose to deal with it. So right now, I'd like you to just take a second. I'd like you to close your eyes, and I I want you to answer these two questions that I'm going to ask you, and that is this. Who is the most annoying person in your life right now? Don't say it out loud. It's okay if you say my kids, my dog, my boss, my government, my health officials, my school, my uh, family members. It doesn't matter whoever pops. Just who's the most annoying person? Who's hurt you the most? Who's disappointed you the most? Who has really stressed you out the most? Who has created confusion in your life right now? And I'm going to ask you the next question. Isn't it time to let it go? Is it time to forgive? Let the words of Jesus wash over your soul. You cannot forgive. Your heavenly Father cannot forgive you. Let it go. Let the resentment go and the hurt go and the anger go. Because if you can't forgive, you're not living in the redemption of Jesus Christ. And that's what living real love is all about. Let it go. Now, the final thing that I'd like to talk about is finding your purpose. You know, finding your purpose is why and how you value people like God does. When you don't know your purpose, what your ministry is, the unique contribution that God has given to you that can bless the world around you, if you don't know what that is and you're not using it or employing it to love and extend God's grace then you're not valuing people like God does. Don't cheat yourself from the power of knowing your purpose. Our church has found uh, kind of a new tool. These tools are all kind of uh, uh, have their place. None of them are perfect. But what I'd like you to do right now is uh, uh, pull out that card, take out your phone, take your phone out. Phone's in church, yeah. Pull up the camera. Let me see if I can get my phone to work here. Okay, there's a camera. And it'll be up here. You can either point it at that screen or you can point it right there. And when you do, <laughs> it helps if you point it the right side. What you do is it, it opens up a little link right there. Now, if you're at home, you can do it on your phone. Uh, you can go to our website. You can go to our phone app and take this anytime you want. But I'd love to do this with some of you right now. I'm going to take a second to do it. Because basically, if you're a guy, I'm going to race you to the end, and I bet you I can beat you. So there you go. Shots thrown, shots fired, something of that nature. Now, what it is is 26 questions, and it it does a couple of things. And one of the things it does is it kind of gives you what your proclivities are. It is just a general thing. It's not perfect, but it helps you understand your purpose by pointing you in the right direction. Then the second half of it allows you to say, oh, what are things that are available at Foothills? It's not an exhaustive list. And there are things outside of Foothills that you can do to build the kingdom of God. Whatever it is for you, uh, you got to start with your proclivity so you know what direction to start taking your first step. And then in the second thing you got to do is say, okay, now I got to actually do it because 
Doing it is what makes the difference. It's called this uh, water skiing syndrome. Have you ever learned how to water ski? Anybody have you ever learned how to water ski? I learned how to water ski a while back. One of the things is, is the person in the boat says, do this, do this, do this, and you'll water ski. And so what do you do for the next hour? You drag yourself behind of a boat drinking half the lake because everything they're saying makes absolutely no sense to you. And then suddenly you try one more time and you pop up and you're water skiing. And suddenly, in that moment, everything they said suddenly makes what? Sense. Why does it make sense? Because you experienced it. Some things don't make any sense until you actually do them and experience them. In the same way, this is what this tool does, is it helps you get pointed to actually do something so you can experience and understand. So you go there, you put in your name, last name, best email contact. If you don't have a phone today with you, you can go to the booth in the atrium afterwards. They'll run it through you real quick. But um, guys, are you ready to go? Because we're going to have a race. I think I can do this in 90 seconds, all right? Start the, uh, the game show music. Let's go. How'd you guys do? Okay, I'm, I'm done. Some of you are like on question 13, you know. So you're, you're contemplating every answer very, very slow. Well, what it'll do is it'll give you some of your proclivities, okay? And so I thought it'd be fun to look at my proclivities of what this little thing shows for you right here. And uh, let's go through these real quick. The first one is, I can be a genetically engineered super soldier for the U.S. government. <laughs> I like that one. Okay, this is my fourth one. Beef jerky hauling Sherpa for Mount Everest. Okay, that's not bad. I'm carrying the beef jerky. No one will ever leave you behind, right? That's a good one. Okay, number three, a dung beetle collector for entomologists. I don't know if I'd like the smell aspect of that job. Too, too odoriferous for me. Okay, number two, a barnacle removal specialist for boat holes. Okay, I spend most of the time underwater and I can't talk. I think some people might enjoy that. All right, number one. What's number one? A proctologist for hippos. That's almost evil right there, let me tell you. <laughs> now, I don't know what yours are going to say, but I guarantee you it won't be any of those. Whatever your proclivities are, take that first step and do something. Stop at the booth if you want to get involved at Foothills and find where you can do your ministry. But don't lose the point of all this. If you want to find the path to true love, it happens when you first and foremost believe what is true. Second of all, you walk in the redemption of Christ, in the forgiveness of Christ, and then you value people like God values people. And God is always chasing. God is always involved. God is always quietly whispering always calling people, are you doing the same? This is the path to true, authentic love. Now, you may ask yourself, why does our church do it this way? Well, 
Here's why. I can't save you. I can't do it. There's nothing special about me in the salvation business because I can't do it. You have to discover Jesus for yourself. And if you are seeking, I can show you the door, but you must knock, and when he opens, you must walk through it. The essence of courage, the essence of strength, the essence of confidence, the essence of love comes when you discover Jesus Christ for yourself. When you have the experience with the living God, only then does life make any sense. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.